Welcome to the Co-Mission Podcast, a place to hear talks, teaching, and conversations from across the Co-Mission network. Back in June, our Executive Director Richard Cokin had a chance to sit down with Desiring God founder John Piper as they discussed leadership, church planters, and enjoying God. We played the first part of this conversation a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, you can still download it on the podcast feed. And now, here's the second part of the conversation. It's striking um, hearing you um, teaching the Bible because on the one hand you're proclaiming that our great satisfaction is to be found in God. But actually you're, you're quite, people would call conservative. You're, you, you know, you're reformed evangelical, you're strictly biblical. people know I Yeah, uh, on all, all kinds of ethical and moral issues. <laughs> Fundamentalist would be a word a lot of people would use. Yeah, you're complementarian, you know, right. uh, believe in male leadership and the family and the church and, and um, you're loyal to the Bible's teaching on sexual morality and so on that no doubt costs you to, to do that. Um, and yet you, you are proclaiming satisfaction and joy in God. Tell us about how you found contending for the faith in your context, how you see it perhaps in Britain. Well, let's just take, let's just take manhood and womanhood as, as an illustration yeah. of how it actually works out. Right now in America, and when we say right now, we're in June of 2018. Right now in America, the, 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 there's just, Everywhere you look, explosive concern about the abuse of, of women, okay? Sexual abuse. Somebody, you know, groping or somebody using her ugly language to, to manipulate somebody in the yeah. workplace. And, and men are being exposed all over the place as having these demeaning attitudes towards women. Now... And so they, they look at Piper and say, yeah, Piper's part of that conservative stuff that devalues women. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Let me tell you something about complementarianism. I think egalitarians, that is, those who insist that, say, in marriage, and I would just say in general, women and men must never be spoken of as having unique responsibilities towards the other that the other doesn't have towards them. I think that's dead wrong. Dead wrong. And the reason it has terrible effects is this. If I don't grow up a son, he's nine years old and wants to know how to treat girls. I said, I'm not going to let you fight them. I'm not going to let you wrestle them. And I'm going to teach you to show special care, special dignity, special honor, because you're a man. Men do this. Men have a special concern to protect women, a special concern to provide for women, a special concern to honor women as the weaker vessel. Egalitarians don't talk that way to their kids. Mm. They, they try to say, well, if you say, what does it mean to be a man, daddy? They say, what well, means to be honest and good and wholesome and strong and uh, authentic. And I say, no, 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 no. Girls are supposed to be that, daddy. Mm. Yeah, they are. Well, I mean, tell me what it means to be a man and not a woman. Mm. They have nothing to say. They don't have anything to say. You can go to plumbing. You can go to anatomy. Well, that's insignificant as far as personhood goes. So what do you say? John Piper says, look, son, God made you a man, which means there is a special and unique responsibility that you have to honor women in ways that they do not have to honor you. And we've lost that. And in losing it, we abuse women. Hmm. So I think complementarianism is God's answer to Mm. sexual abuse Mm. and the dishonoring behaviors. And egalitarians sound like they believe that and they want to believe that. Mm. 
but they've removed, they've removed the very thing you need for a 9, 10, 11, 12 year old boy to show him how to grow up and never, ever, don't you ever hit a girl. Mm, I remember telling my boys from the growing up, look, God's made you stronger than your sisters in order to look after them and protect them. You know, not to be, because they're, you know, they're enjoying the fact they can beat their older sister and saying, no, that's not what it's for, yeah, it's for, yeah, yeah. for looking after, after the, the girls. Can I just take you in a different direction? Um, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, leadership and, and someone like you is well known in a, the small pool of the Christian world, but, but, but you're well known. And if you've tra- traveled the world, sometimes there's a tendency in, in leaders to be, uh, you know, adored and, and uh, you know, even worshipped and, and so on. Uh, tell us your, your reflections on that. What, what should leaders be cultivating? I mean, the Bible tells congregations to respect their leaders, but, but there are some thoughts on that we've shared about um, how leaders should be uh, servant-hearted following the <laughs> was right on my front burner yeah. when you asked that question. Is a sermon from Matthew Westerholm, the worship leader in our downtown campus. Yeah. Two weeks ago, I think, preached a sermon from Matthew 18, 1 to 6, on uh, unless you turn, become like children. I mean, he was respond- Jesus was responding to the disciples, who's the greatest? You know, I want to beat your right hand, I want to beat your left. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And today, that would reflect this. Yeah you know who's the biggest celebrity or who's the biggest whatever mm. so how, how can I get more Twitter followers how can I get more people to look at my blog more 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 I want to be number one in my podcast or whatever mm. that's just that's the kind of thing Jesus is addressing and his his answer is um, unless you turn to become like children you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven mm. and then he went to the next level and said he took a child put him in his midst whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and the point he made first was this. And it was a very striking phrase. He said, Jesus was saying, the kids get in free and nobody else gets in. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Like, Whoa. It's not like you're expecting him to say, the kids get in free, adults, they pay a dollar. No, no, no. They don't pay a dollar. They don't get in. Hmm. Unless you turn and become like a child, you don't get in. Hmm. And the way you show that you've become a child is to receive children, which is just, you just work in the nursery, mm-hmm. right? You work in the, or what do you call it, a nursery? Yeah, nursery, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, you, you, And I just sat there thinking, that's radical. Mm. That's really radical. Yeah. So one answer is you, you meditate on those passages. If, if God is giving prosperity to your work, mm. you go to a text like that and you say, if I stop being a child, meaning I'm just a little helpless baby, I need a father. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have an attitude, every day I'm a child who needs a father's care, a father's wisdom, a father's love. I'm just a little baby. I, I need a daddy. If that's your mindset, mm-hmm. you're not going to go cr- working for the angles to try to get people to make much of you. We've, we've noticed somewhere that uh, in the West there's the celebrity culture where the the successful, you know, the leader of a big church can be, you know, adored. And then in Africa, there's the chieftain culture. Um, and then in, in the East, there's the guru culture. And uh, actually, uh, it doesn't do much good for the leader themselves. And there have been some high profile situations in, in, in the States where, you know, very, you know, apparently successful men have, have, oh my. have fallen God, over. He seems yeah. to really be good at taking people out. Yeah. yeah. How, how do we... Um, stay humble. I mean, it shouldn't be difficult <laughs> when we reflect on the reality, but, but just 
for your point of view, I noticed that you know you don't pursue that yourself, and, and you're very simple in your tastes of. Well, you don't know what goes on inside. No. Um, um, well, how do pastors stay servant-hearted? Here's the here's the scary first answer to that yeah. question. We don't. God, God does. Yeah, God will. Um, you're not humility is the kind of virtue that can't be pursued directly, right? Mm. Because if you succeed at it, you've just failed. (laughs) I finished the day, made that one, got that one solved. I'm now humble. Um, Humility is a gift that comes as your attention is diverted elsewhere. I I think maybe it was Tim Keller who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Less. Um, and, And I think that's, Self-forgetfulness is a better solution to celebrity than low views of yourself. Low views of yourself will be like an onion. Okay, I finally got a low enough views of myself, and I feel really good about that. Why is that like an onion? I don't get that. Well, the next peel is, oh, oh, I I really, that's a sin, so I've got to feel bad about feeling bad. Oh, now I've got that. Oh, that's another, you take a, I've got to feel bad about feeling bad about feeling bad. Until you go down, down, down to the center, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. So the the solution isn't to to go a a layer deeper in the onion to find a lower view of yourself. Okay, got that one. No, got that one. And there's nothing there. The the view is, would you lay aside the onion and look at God? Look at this majestic, sovereign, glorious God. I mean, this this morning, I was, I was reading in uh, Psalm 50. The cattle on a thousand hills, the world and everything in it is mine. You call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you and you will glorify me. Yeah. I mean, the whole point there is, you think you can meet my need? You think you can impress me at all? You are not impressive. I'm impressive. Be impressed with me. And if, if we take our eyes off of that all-satisfying, impressive God Mm. and try to do the humility thing another way, it just won't work. It backfires. Mm. So um, humility has to be sought indirectly. But I don't want to lose what I said earlier. God will do it. And so in in my life, there are just so many um, things I'm dissatisfied with. I don't, I'm not satisfied with the way I treat my wife. Mm. I'm not satisfied with all the outcomes of my children's lives. Mm. I'm not satisfied with my level of prayer and evangelism. I mean, mm. when I look in the mirror about the, the John Piper that most people don't know anything about, mm. I'm not happy with him. Mm. And so this, this other mirage that's out there that he writes books and he gets in front of big crowds, what is that? Mm. That's nothing. I mean, mm. God is so unimpressed with that. God is after holiness and humility and kindness and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And when I look at myself, I, I'm not an, a B, I'm not a B minus person. Mm. I'll see you in the back row then. Um, uh, of the many books you've read for, for church congregations, church members, which what would you recommend they begin with, which they want to get into the biblical writings of John Piper? Would you? Desiring God. Yeah would be the basic one. Mm. I wrote a simpler, smaller version of that called The Dangerous Duty of Delight, if people want 80 pages instead of 360 pages. Mm. But that's the foundational book that has... um, Another would be Don't Waste Your Life. Mm. Wrote that, just put a new edition of that one out, trying to help. I wrote it. The irony is I wrote that for 
20-somethings <laughs> finishing university, maybe. <laughs> and over the years, since 2003 or whenever that was that came out, more 50-somethings <laughs> have said thank you to me for that book. <laughs> because I was thinking, I don't want you to formulate your life goals as a 22-year-old in terms of the world's view of success. But there are a lot of people who are coming to the end of their first career, 50s, 60s, and they know, given statistics, they're going to live another 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And they've done what they're going to do, and they're wondering, they're like 22 again. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt when I stepped aside from preaching, like I'm 67, and I got maybe 20 years if I'd live as long as my dad. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 22 again, I can do anything I want, which I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, don't Waste Your Life was written to try to help people. It's, it's about making much of Jesus, not making much of yourself. With our church planting network, we've got lots of young pastors just starting out, launching churches. You know, I feel old. You're even older. I mean, you're very, very I'm old. Very old. Um, There's a good verse about that, too. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you wish you'd known 40 years ago when you, you started out in teaching ministry? What do you look back and think, if only I'd known this about ministry? or taking it more seriously, is there something you want to say to pastors 40 years ago? You know, when I'm asked that question, you know, what would you do differently or what, what would you like to have known that you didn't know? Or even the thing that you perhaps now has become more precious than ever. I'm yeah, not saying you didn't know. I was going to go there maybe. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think at age 20, let's say at age 25, because between 22 and 25, I made discoveries that have been life-shaping. Hmm. When I was 25, I think God had shown me what I need to know. Mm. And I just was not a good enough person to mm. act on it. Mm. I, so I had to do over again. I want to do everything better. Mm. I want to read my Bible better and pray better, love my wife better and raise my kids better and preach better and evangelize better. I knew what to do. Knowledge was, was at, at age 25. I, I, I had deficiencies of knowledge at age 22. By age 25, God had shown me so much, it would be absolutely hypocritical of me to say, I really needed to know a lot more and somehow I didn't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. I knew. I knew what to do. My problem was not knowledge. And so I, I think I would just say, oh, to be more consistently devoted to what I knew, mm -hmm. to be more rigorous and careful and loving. But, but something, even as I'm talking, comes to my mind that I would say, um, I think um, I would have pushed into the lives of my children emotionally more aggressively than I did. I was a careful and aggressive Bible reader, explainer mm -hmm. to my children and disciplinarian to make sure they acted in consistent, mm. consistent with the rules. I don't think I pushed hard enough into their hearts. Mm. You know, the Paul trip, shepherding a child's heart is mm. a well-known book on parenting. That title is good. Mm shepherding a child's heart. I, I think most parents err on shepherding a child's behavior, mm. primarily, mm. because you got to keep him from killing himself, right? Mm. Don't walk in the street. Don't put your hand in the electrical socket. Don't touch the oven. Don't, don't, don't. And, and a kid really absorbs from the time he's six months old on do's and don'ts to the max. So we're breeding little doers without... Little, same, same would be true of congregations. And... and 
in the same of congregations. If you don't, if you don't do a heart thing, which is why I think Christian hedonism is so essential, that I'm on Sunday morning and, and I wish I'd done it better in my family, I'm probing to see what are the obstacles in your heart to keep you from enjoying God. And the gospel then, of course, the, the gospel of Christ died for sinners rose again becomes essential for parenting because little kids who've been taught not to do, not to do, not to do, know they're bad. Yeah. I do bad things. Yeah. And unless we teach them deeply and experientially and from our own souls that there's, there's a remedy for your badness mm. that doesn't require you to deny it, you can be authentic and be happy. Authentic and be relieved of your guilt. That, that's why it's just glorious to know the gospel. Uh, you've visited uh, London a few times now. You've got to know that the commission passes a bit. You've seen church planning and so on. As you look from the other side of the pond, you look at what we're doing and you've said kind things about, about what we're trying to do, planting lots of churches and uh, reaching people of all nations here in London with a big push on cross-cultural mission. Is there anything you see, you, you, you kind of think, uh, I hope you guys don't forget this. You know, do remember that. Something you'd like to kind of just a little corrective or a tweak you, um, you, you want to say to us as you look from afar at what we're trying to do here in London. Um, I don't have the commission pegged for any peculiar vulnerability, <laughs> but I and 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 what I know about the British is mostly secondhand <laughs> or inadequately uh, substantiated. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I would say at a, at a risk to not knowing enough. Um, among evangelicals in Britain, I sense a uh, devotion to the Bible and a little bit of resistance to um, synthesizing the Bible into something coherently whole. Uh, whether you, Doctrine. Yeah, whether, I was going to say whether you call it biblical theology, systematic mm. theology, doctrine, mm. whole counsel of God. Um, I mean, there, there are numerous words in Paul that signify that he, he sensed there was a wholeness to this, a coherency to this. I, I would just, I mean, I'm, I'm not a system person in that I, I start with a system, say John Calvin, my system, and I work it down, and I sure hope it's in the Bible because I'm going to believe it anyway. That's <laughs> just horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I learned my Reformed theology by studying Romans yeah. and Galatians and the Sermon on the Mount, 1 Corinthians. I, I, that's how I cut my teeth in seminary. I, 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 to this day, I'll say this out loud, mm. I have not read all the Institutes mm. of John Calvin. I just yeah. don't find them... Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, 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 won't, I won't tell anybody I just, you don't. Yeah, yeah. But, but I've read Romans a hundred times, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where I learned my, my theology. So, so, implication, I would just encourage young pastors to be... Um, as aggressive as you are in putting the pieces together from book to book in the Bible, from paragraph to paragraph, from sentence to sentence, yeah. into something that speaks of a reality that is beneath the text. Yeah. This is, when, I, when I wrote my book on preaching, I just said, guys, I, I, I fear in my own experience of teaching preaching, I may have erred in stressing 
uh, ways to get at the author's intended meaning in a text. So if you've got the logic, like, uh, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome for for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the power of God is revealed from faith to faith, for, you know, that's a chain of arguments, right? Four, 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 four. I pointed that out. The guys see it. Their eyes get big. They uh, construct a sermon with four steps, with all the logical connections. And I, and I realize there's a reality behind that. Mm. There's a reality. Do you know it? Mm. Can you feel it? Can you speak it in such a way that the reality through text, through faithful exposition of text, reality in you goes to reality in them? Maybe that would be my, my exhortation. Love the text, love the analysis of the text, and love more the reality the text is trying to impart to the soul and that reality has a wholeness to it. I think you're right. In, in our culture, there's a respect for preaching shaped by the shape of the passage, which comes from yeah. Dick Lucas and John Stott and yeah. from yeah. Charles Simeon yeah. all yeah. the way back through the reforms and so on. I think that's something we want to, to keep. But we also need to learn more from about biblical theology, uh, how passages belong to the unfolding narrative of the Bible. The Australians have been very helpful uh, in, in helping us to remember the unfolding narrative yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Americans, including yourself, have reminded us, yes, you can summarize that and, and, and create a worldview and engage with culture and engage with uh, uh, the application of people's lives. Are you happy that we think of Americans helping us to do that? You, do you want to be have more of an influence upon us than how to synthesize and engage with I culture? Would, I couldn't care less where you, where you yeah. get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you get it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can get it from anywhere. Yeah. Get it from the Bible. Get it from your own soul. Get, just, I mean, whatever's here, that's what you get. If 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 somebody in China can help you get it, Amen. Nigeria, Amen. Mm. America, maybe Amen. Yeah, yeah, it's good. But let me let me say one more thing about 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 that that preaching. If I can remember what I was gonna what I was gonna say. Um, oh yes, when you say preach a sermon shaped by the text. Here's a form of that, of that statement. Let the main point of the text be the main point of your sermon. Yeah. And I say to guys, that's good, and then preach three more sermons on that same text, getting points that aren't the main text, but are really there. Yeah. Because I think guys get paralyzed thinking, okay, what's Paul's main point? I'm going to do this tomorrow morning at the men's convention. I'm going, to, I'm going to go for the main point of the Elijah on Carmel text. But I think there are probably 10 sub points that are really there, really intended, really God designed for our good that are not the main point, which is, which means, and I did this over and over again when preaching through Romans, you know, I, I wouldn't preach a, a, a sermon on, on Romans um, 16 and 17 and then do 18 I, I preached six sermons on 16 and 17 and drew out something different every week that's really there so don't don't be paralyzed by saying okay the shape of the text and the point of the text has to be the shape of the sermon and the point of the sermon that's not true that's not the way the Bible handles the Bible yeah. you can't teach any text at all its levels you can't make all the points of any text so you have to be selective presumably depending you on the, the, the audience that you're speaking to so right. Right. With, a, with a congregation who are introducing to, to things for the first time, you may want to be dealing with the major points yep. or point of the passage, but perhaps second, third time, or to those who are more educated in the faith, you'd look at other issues raised in the text, put them together with other texts. Are you happy with that? As well? I am happy with that. Yeah, I think that's what you're, you're, you're telling us. 
Next week, Andrew Hurd speaks on cross-shaped ministry in a talk from last year's Planting Collective Conference. Thanks for listening to the Co-Mission Podcast. Check out and share a video version of this talk on our Facebook page. Just search for Co-Mission. Co-Mission.